Howdy, 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 and good morning. Welcome again to Jericho Road Church. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. So uh, thanks for joining us. We're going to start with some shouts. What do we do? We love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. Those are cool too, right? Yeah, that was good. So, hello, wonderful disciples of Christ. Uh, so glad you're joining us here today. I uh, am always blessed to celebrate uh, the Lord's Day with you together, and today is another great day to do that. So we're in this series called uh, Jesus Objects, where we've been uh, seeing where Jesus takes ordinary objects and makes extraordinary spiritual truths from them. Uh, we saw a needle and a camel, and Jesus was telling us that it is impossible to get into heaven, but God does the impossible on the regular. We saw a Roman coin where uh, Jesus said to give to God what's God's. And then we saw salt, and we were looking at, Jesus wants us to be 100% for him. Like saltiness is to salt, Christ is to our Christianity. That he's full and in all of our Christianity. And today, we're going to hit a twofer. We're going to hit the most famous object that Jesus uses, and he's going to use two objects today to speak of a a spiritual reality, and that's going to be bread and wine. You may uh, be familiar with communion if you've been to church or even heard of church or saw churches or Catholic churches or any sort of churches ever on TV, you'll be familiar with communion. And we're going to talk that, about that this morning. We're going to see the setup, we're going to see the object, then we're going to see the point, and lastly, the reaction. Now, uh, this idea is uh, of this object is found in three of the four Gospels, but we're going to look at the account that's recorded in Luke. So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, if you're following along your Bible. So Luke chapter 22. So here we go. Here's the setup. Now, uh, Jesus, this is, uh, he'd come in triumphantly. This is the night before he gets crucified. And this is a Passover time in the Jewish uh, festival, of uh, Jewish calendar, where Passover comes. So this is Luke 22, and he's already in that upper room, and they're about to have dinner together, him and his disciples. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus says, I eagerly desire to have this meal with you. I've been eagerly desiring this moment, but not because he's going to die. He knows he's going to die literally like the next morning, within a few hours of this, within the next 10 hours, he's going to be on the cross. And that's not what he's desiring. But what he's desiring is that this is the fulfillment of the purpose that Jesus came to the planet. He came here to die for our sins. And he says, like, we are at the precipice of that. We are about to fulfill that. He said, I'm not going to get another meal. I'm not going to be able to break bread again with you. I'm not going to drink of the vine until we have the final feast. And that's uh, referring to like this final feast at the end of time when and sometimes it's called the, the supper of the lamb or, the, or the, uh, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb where all believers get to feast with Jesus. And he says, I'm not going to eat again this kind of feast until we do it in eternity together. He says, I, I am eagerly desiring to have this moment with you guys because I think, or I know that this is such a powerful moment. This was not the beginning of the end. This was actually just the beginning of the beginning. And Jesus says, I am eagerly 
anticipating what's going to happen and what's going to happen after this. Okay, so now i got to get really Jewish with you for a little while. So we're going to go really Jewish for a few minutes because if we don't get really Jewish, we're going to miss kind of what Jesus is talking about in a minute. And so here we go really Jewish. If you've been going to the uh, small groups where we've been watching the Chosen series, there's a lot of really Jewish stuff where they're going through the Shabbat and they're doing the right, these chants and they're saying stuff and, and there's all these rituals. Well, th that's a good primer. Now, if you haven't been going to small group but you still want to go through that curriculum, we have a few books that you go through on your own. Feel free to pick those up afterwards. But anyway, so the disciples, they're expecting a traditional Jewish Passover meal. So I want you to understand, this is 100% Jewish context. This is the Passover. They've been eating it for thousands of years, every single year. Every single year of each of these disciples' lives, they had had this feast. And it happens at the same time every year this Passover. And so in the Passover, like often with many Jewish meals, but in the Passover in particular, every single thing that you eat has a symbolic meaning or has a ritual involved with it or has a prayer with it. So everything that's laid out, it, it all means something. And so they, they start, they, they take these bitter herbs, and they would say these bitter herbs remind us of the bitterness that we had in Egypt. And they eat these bitter herbs. And then they take these greens and they dip them in salt water, and they let the salt water drip from it. And they say, that, that reminds us of the tears that were shed, because salt water tears, that were shed when we were slaves or captives in Egypt. And they would then eat that. And then the, uh, whoever was in charge of the Passover meal, they would stand up and they would take bread, and they would, the head of the meal, and they would say this sort of prayer over this bread. It's the same prayer. It wouldn't change ever uh, for as long as they've been doing this. And he would say, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt, that everyone who hungers come and eat, that everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And then they would take this lamb that had been prepared for each family, every family, if they couldn't eat one themselves, they had to join a neighbor. But they would take this lamb, and they would eat the entire contents of this lamb so that none was left over. And it reminded them of the time when God told them to kill a lamb, eat it, and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost when they were in Egypt. So that when he came and brought about judgment on Egypt, the hand of God would pass over their houses, and the firstborn in their house wouldn't get killed. And so they eat this lamb knowing that that's in their head as they're eating this lamb. It's just not like a nice kebab. It's not like a nice euro. You know, they're, they're having this particularly to eat that. According to custom of Jewish Passover dinner, there were also four cups, four different cups that they would drink, and they would drink them at particular times within the meal. And the four cups represented, uh, represented the four declarations that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 6 about his people. So God declared, he said, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, and I will take you to be my people. And so those were the four, so they would have these four cups, and they would take a cup, and they would say, introduce the first part. So this is at the very beginning of the meal, it said, now here's the cup, and let us remember that God said, I will bring you out. Take a sip, and they pass around and take a sip. You're like, oh, that sounds really communion. They take the bread, and they said something, they drink the drink. Yeah, Christians didn't invent communion. Communion was not invented at the upper room, uh, well, communion was, but, but in terms of breaking bread and drinking wine and having it remember something, wasn't created at that moment. The Jews have been doing it for a thousand years. And so they would say, I would bring you out. And then they would take another cup. They would say, I would deliver you. They would eat the main meal, remembering that God passed over them, that God didn't bring judgment upon them. And then they drank 
the third cup, after they had eaten the meal, the third cup, and I want you to keep this in mind for where we're going to go in a minute, the third cup, they would say, the statement that God said to the people in Egypt, I will redeem you. And then the fourth cup, they said, I will take you to be my people. The cups as the whole represented God's freeing his people from exile and drawing them to himself. That's what the Passover is all about. That's they're hyper-focused on that. Every little morsel that they eat, every drink that they drink, every statement they said pointed back to that thing. So now look back at our verse. Let's get that one back up. So this is at the beginning. Jesus took that cup, and this was the first cup of the meal of the Passover ritual. But you'll notice that this isn't the communion cup that we're accustomed to seeing in this passage. And so if you read it, like, I don't know about, I've read the Bible a lot. And I've read communion, this communion part a lot, probably a hundred times in this, maybe more than a hundred times. But I'll go back to actually the last verse, if we can get that last one up. But, but I somehow conflated the cups, and I'll be fully honest, until about two weeks ago. About two weeks ago, when he says, like, uh, take this cup, divide it among you, in my mind, that was the communion cup that we celebrate all the time. But we're going to notice that it isn't. In fact, Jesus passes another cup and another cup. And so it looks like Jesus is following the Passover, the, the sequence of the Passover cups. And so this was at the beginning meal where he passed the cup. And I never made that rich. I've read this passage hundreds of times. And I never made that connection. Because sometimes we read something so much or we know something so much that we, we, we stop hearing it really, right? And after you've seen or read this two times and you think it's communion, then you never see it in another light until I recognize uh, by doing some Jewish digging, because I had to get all Jewish for this too, like, oh my gosh, the Jewish have four cups for this meal. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's at least two that Jesus mentions. Here's the one. And then he's going to say that they eat and that sort of stuff. So uh, there's another cup in a minute. So that's our setup. That's what's going on. This is a super Jewish Passover dinner. Now here's the objects. And here's our object number one. is Luke 22, 19. And he took the bread. And then in Luke 22, 20, he took the cup. And those are our objects. Jesus takes these two objects. He takes the bread. Now, at our church, we use this. I don't know if that barely constitutes as bread, right? We take the bread. So, oh, you can't see that? Let's get that a little bigger. Oh, there's the bread. Oh, you can't see that one? Oh, let's thematically do this. Oh, there we go. He took the bread, and he's like, this is my body. It's like life-size bread, right, for Jesus' life. So Jesus takes these uh, two objects, bread, and, and uh, he takes the cup for communion. Now, I don't know about you, but I always think like communion, I think of like communion wine, right? And then so I actually bought these wine bottles, and I was going to have a little wine and bigger, like our, our, I was going to have our little cup and then get bigger and bigger. But then, do you know the Bible never says wine? It never says there, there's wine in communion. In fact, the Bible never uses the word communion. And so when I was like, I, I actually had bought a big, like a wine bottle. And then I wasted my eight bucks from, from Oriental Trading Company because like it never says wine. So I was like, well, I can't use that. But in fact, like it actually just says the cup, but what I and that's why I was gonna bring bigger and bigger cups, but, but the cup isn't the object either. But the wine even in the cup isn't. And Jesus says, This is my blood poured out for you. So it's actually the pouring out of the contents of the blood of the cup or whatever's in the cup that, that is the point. And so I was like, well. I can't even visually represent that, so uh, it's just bread today, just bread as a visual representation, but that's okay, because I didn't bring a live camel in for needle and camel either. And so the disciples were familiar with these 
two objects. They were familiar with the bread. They were familiar with the cup. They were at Passover. They were sitting there expecting all of this. This is what was going to happen. And so they may not have been paying attention at first, but then Jesus does something incredible. He does something radical. He redefines the symbols. He's going to break Passover. He's going to say, eh, eh. Here's the new lines for the Passover. Here's the new statement. Here's the new symbol. He's going to redefine those objects. He's going to build upon, and dare I would say, even fulfill the meaning of those objects, of those symbols. So here's the point. We get to it right here when Jesus says in 22:19. Then he takes the bread, and he gives thanks, and then he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given over for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so he takes the bread, and then he takes the cup. He didn't give the normal explanation for the meaning of each of these things. He reinterprets it in himself. The focus is no longer on uh, the troubles in Egypt and the exile, but rather the focus is on himself. That, that he would be the sin-bearing suffering of Jesus on their behalf. It's no longer about exile from Egypt. It's about exile from our sins so that we can be right with God eternally. Jesus ups the ante like, by exponentially. He says, all these things, they're, they're not fulfilled to me. They were a shadow. It was, you know, the deliverance, the Passover, the lamb, that's all me. He says, this is the moment that we're in right now, he says. And these are the symbols. He says, this bread is me broken for you. It's not you broken by slavery in Egypt. It's my body broken for you. And this phrase, my body broken for you, has no place in the Passover ritual. It's brand new. And it would have had a stunning effect. An effect that would grow and increase in their understanding because when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, had he died, he had not died yet. He was still alive. It, it, it was, they didn't understand. But what do you think happens in like 10 hours when he gets crucified? And they had just had this thing where he said, that's my body broke for you, pierced for you, my blood shed out for you, and then he gets crucified 10 hours later. And they're like, oh, crap, he's dead, right? But then imagine three days later, then he's resurrected. You're like, oh, wait! I totally get it! He redefined this bread. The Jews had a bread prayer for every meal. Now, I don't want to upend Christian practice, but I wonder if we're not commanded to remember Jesus whenever we're breaking bread together. Like even if we go to Legacy Men's Breakfast or Women's have women's Brunch or, or maybe right after service today we go to lunch. I, I wonder if we're not... That's also not a commanded time where we remember Jesus whenever bread is broken. Now, Jesus does command us to remember him when taking communion at the minimum. But I wonder if it's perhaps more than that. Now, check this out. So that's the bread part. It says, after the meal was eaten, Jesus takes another cup. Now, if he's following Passover customs, and I, I don't think there's any reason to see why he wouldn't be, then after eating the meal, the next cup, so you have two cups, eat the lamb. The third cup, if you remember, past the Passover, is the one that recalls the phrase, I will redeem you. And when he grabs that third cup, he doesn't say, 
God said in Exodus, I was from the beginning, rather, he says, this is my blood, bringing a new covenant. It's like an agreement, a new contract, a new contract between humans and men. I will redeem you, God had said in Exodus. And Jesus says, here's the fulfillment of that. I will actually redeem you, not pass over you. I will completely cleanse you. Man, I read that, and it's like that kind of goosebumps moment, you know, where Jesus really does up that ante. He really does fulfill this thing. He says, this cup, or this wine, is the new covenant sealed by my blood. The new covenant paid for in my blood, poured out for you. The new covenant replaces the Mosaic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. All the old covenants, which were conditional based on obedience and following the law and doing works, Jesus says, I'm going to replace those old covenants and bring a new covenant. Now, no mere man could ever institute a new covenant between God and man, but Jesus isn't a mere man. The only reason he can institute a covenant between God and man is because he is God. He is God fully and he is man fully, and, and he's this God-man, and he says, you know, here's our new agreement. The old one wasn't working. People weren't able to get to heaven. They couldn't be perfect. So here's the agreement. I'll be perfect for you and then give it to you. And all you have to do is receive it. That's it. That's the new agreement. Not your works, not how good you are, not what school you went to, not how much money you have, not what a good person you are, not how many uh, times you prayed, not how much money you gave, none of that. He says, you just receive from me. The new covenant is based on the finished work of Christ, which we simply receive his gift. And that's what Jesus says we are to remember. Remember this, through Jesus alone, we are allowed access to heaven. Remember this, through Jesus alone, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the king of the universe. Remember this, through Jesus alone, our sins are paid for, washed clean and forgiven. But even as believers, I think oftentimes we forget about the agreement. And we think that we're the, we're the authors of our own salvation. Maybe you heard this and you kind of forget it. And so you think, well, no, you know, what I really got to do is I got to go to extra prayer meetings or I got to, you know, pray in the right way or I got to give the right amount or I have to read my Bible in a certain way and I've, I've got to go to church. I've got to do these kind of things. And we sort of think that when I do these things, then I'll be good enough to get to heaven or somehow I'll earn God's favor or maybe he'll like me more. If I do these things, maybe he'll listen to my prayers and I'll get that promotion. We get all this other stuff. Where it becomes about us becoming the author of our salvation, or us, us becoming the earners of, of heaven. And it's not that. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you got to do this for remembers me. Every time you break bread, that's a like a lot. I, I eat a lot. I break bread two, three, four times a day, you know? And Jesus says, whatever you're doing that, remember me, because it's so easy to forget. We forget that he is the Lord of our lives, not us. So we take communion every week because we need a reminder we got to remember who's the gift giver and who's the gift receiver. Who's the recipient of that? We take communion and we review our agreement. Remember, he says, this cup is the new agreement, the new covenant in my blood. So when I take communion, I remember, God, there's a new agreement. The agreement is you're the king. You're the gift giver. I'm the recipient. I, I just receive from you. I just, I just get poured into by you. I get to receive by faith your heaven, your goodness, your sonship. 
your blessing, your movement, your power. So when we take communion, we review that, we agree again with the new covenant. So as we eat the bread, we remember how Jesus was broken, pierced, and beaten for our redemption. And then as we drink the cup, we remember his blood, his life poured out on the cross to seal us for this new covenant. And I think that you guys are probably similar to me. Sometimes life gets so busy and stuff that I need regular reminders. I love that that's why we do communion every single week and maybe we need it even a little bit more. I love that we need daily reminders and weekly reminders because I get really busy and I forget this stuff. And I read the Bible a lot and then I just read it. It doesn't even hit me. So God says, I need you to pause. And Jesus is telling us, hey, whenever you're breaking this bread, I need you to, I need you to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Because the kind of love that Jesus has for me, it seems impossible. And unless I sit in it a little bit longer than I'm naturally predisposed to, then it just goes past me. Because I don't feel like I'm worthy of that kind of love. I don't feel like uh, I deserve that kind of thing. And it seems impossible. And so unless I pause and, and let God be the giver, then I end up being the worker for my own salvation. So Jesus says, you got to pause and remember the love that I have for you. Now we're going to take a nerd moment sidetrack, a historical sidetrack moment, just for a second, for some of you history nerds about this kind of stuff. When Jesus said, this is my body given for you, and this is the cup of the covenant, my blood, the precise understanding of these words, they've been debated for the last 2,000 years. Like, how does this work exactly? When Jesus says, this is my blood, do this, you know, What's going on in communion, especially because the Roman Catholic Church holds to this idea of transubstantiation, which means like the molecules of the bread actually become the molecules of Jesus's body. The molecules of the wine actually become Jesus's literal blood. And so that's why the, the Catholics hold like communion so carefully. Like if they drop it, they like you know they can't just drop it. You can't throw away communion wine because they think it actually is the body and the blood of Jesus. And so uh, that's what the Catholic Church teaches. And then after a bunch of time, uh, now they have so after a bunch of time that there's these, uh, not everyone agrees always in anything theologically, right? So after a while there's this guy, Martin Luther, uh, and he holds this idea called consubstantiation, which really is just transubstantiation light. So what he says is that uh, the bread stays bread, the wine stays wine, but at the same time in this sort of dual reality, uh, it becomes actually Jesus's God uh, blood and actually Jesus's body, and so they're con. They're at the same time existing in these two sort of states, and so he kind of sidesteps that. So Luther is really kind of Catholic. He uh, he just didn't like all the practices of the Catholic Church, but he's very Catholic. So if you go to a Lutheran church, they they have this sort of high church. It feels very Catholic to go to a Lutheran church, and that's why because he's like close to them. But in Luther's time, there was this guy named Zwingli. He's less famous. Um, but uh, he's a contemporary of Luther, and he taught that the, the bread and the wine are significant symbols that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And so Martin Luther and him would always have these debates, and, and uh, Martin Luther is like sort of really high-strung, if you know, like uh, maybe any like Calvinists, they tend to run a little higher-strung than like regular, <laughs> like free will people. They're like, yeah, whatever, you know. Like, no, no, this, you know. So Luther, like, this, that guy in Zwingli is like, eh, you know, I don't know, you know. So <laughs> one had a tie on, the other was like had flip flops and like you know <laughs> shorts and stuff. Uh, that would be the modern versions of them. But Zwingli was like, no, no, it's, it's just you know he said do it in remembrance of me and that kind of stuff. And and uh, Martin Luther would always scream at him. He'd say, what does Jesus mean? This is my body. Is my body. It is my 
Bible, it is my body. And Zwingli would say, like, yeah, he also said, I am the vine, I am a gate, I am living water. It's not actually a vine, Martin Luther, and Martin Luther would get really mad with him. And so uh, that, that happened, and then John Calvin came around, you guys might like sort of Calvinist with him. Uh, John Calvin says that Jesus' presence is in the, in the wine and the bread, and, and the presence is real, but only spiritual, not physical. So that's a lot of stuff. So at our church, we say it this way. We say that they are symbols to be remembered, but they're not merely symbols. Something supernatural happens when we take communion. And I would liken it to baptism. Baptism isn't a bath. It's not getting clean. There is water involved, but, but there's something more. There's something supernatural that happens in a baptism. And anyone who's been baptized can tell you that's the reality. Or, or same as like with worship. When we're singing worship songs, we are singing a song, but it's not merely a song. It is something else. There's something supernatural that comes on. It's not like going to Justin Bieber concert and singing Baby, Baby, Baby. Like that's kind of fun and that's cool or whatever. But that's different than what happens when I interact with God in a real way in worship. It is just a song. It's kind of like a concert, but it's totally different. When, when we interact with the Holy Spirit, when, when Jesus' presence is with us, it is a supernatural activity. And so I think that that's what's happening in communion. There's a supernatural activity. Though we recognize it is just, it is just a cracker and it is just juice, like someone put this together in a manufacturing plant and they sealed it and they sent it and that kind of stuff. I recognize that that's the case. But it isn't merely that. Because Jesus' presence comes in a supernatural way whenever we do these things, whenever we, we take communion or whenever we enter into worship or whenever we get baptized, there's something different about that, something supernatural. And so I, I would say that's kind of where, where we as a church land. Now, you can land all the way with the Catholics. That's fine. None of this would negate your salvation or something like that. It's just sort of a uh, disagreement that's happened theologically for years and years. The bottom line, I would say, and everyone would agree to this, is that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we do. We remember and we receive. We do this regularly. So that's the point. And here's the reaction. The Bible actually doesn't record the reaction of the disciples. They get sidetracked because Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, what? This is like, they get sort of, like, totally sidetracked right there. Uh, and then they sing a hymn, and then they go to the garden, he gets arrested, and then he gets tried, and then he's crucified in the next few hours. So Jesus continues to speak, and they got sidetracked. But sometimes reactions take time to form. What's the reaction from the disciples historically? Well, we read in uh, Acts that people started to begin to regularly participate in the Lord's Supper. They started to regularly do this as a remembrance. They started to redefine uh, the meal prayer. So if you've been in our uh, chosen small groups, they've been the Shabbat. They had all these, uh, the Sunday, you know, the Saturday, they would have this special meal, and they would eat it together. But they also had prayers for their daily meals. And so the believers started to say, like, oh, whenever we take this bread, we start to break this. We remember Jesus. Whenever they would meet together time, uh, day after day in their homes or wherever, they would remember Jesus. They would start to take the Lord's Supper regularly. And, and Paul even gives some further instructions about it in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. And so much so that they create other titles for this. It becomes known as the Eucharist or the Communion or the Lord's Supper or... Uh, the bread and the cup, they keep all these other things, and, and believers start to celebrate it from, from when Jesus is in this, all the way now until 2,000 years later. 
remembering Jesus through them ever since he redefined those two objects. Now, all Christians regularly celebrate communion. Every Christian. Now, they do it at different ways, and they do it at different times, and sometimes it's not every week, and sometimes it's you know quarterly or, or in different modes and different ways that they hand it out and pass it out, and, and, and they think maybe it happens internally different than another person thinks it, but, but all Christians for the last 2,000 years have been doing communion, receiving communion, and remembering Jesus. That's the reaction. It's a historical reaction where this has become a reality for, for all of us as believers. And so they, today we're going to close uh, by actually taking communion again. And I know that this is weird, and maybe you've never taken communion twice in one service, and you're like, is that even allowed? And uh, you're like, don't worry, you can Google it after to see if that's allowed. If you're Catholic, even the Catholics allow it at least uh, uh, two times a day would be the most that you can do, even as a Catholic. So the strictest of the communion people say it's okay. You know, you can Google it after. But, uh, but I want us to take communion again, because maybe we took it earlier, and that was powerful. But, but maybe uh, I want to invite you to take a fresh look. So that there's going to be ushers that are going to pass out this communion again. I know you broke the one that's in front of you. So here's another one. Grab this. Now, if you're not a believer, uh, you can go ahead and take one so you don't feel awkward and then just set it aside. It's okay. You, know, you don't have to actually eat it. Uh, just so you don't feel overwhelmed. But I, I want all of us to do a fresh remembrance. We just heard about this teaching. Imagine yourself at, at that Jewish Passover dinner and Jesus says this something totally redefines everything. And it's going to be shocking that maybe Jesus is the fulfillment of the redemption promise all the way in Exodus. Maybe Jesus is the fulfillment of of all the hopes and dreams that you'd ever wanted. And I want you to take that and do a fresh remember of Jesus, what he means to you. And don't open that yet. We're going to do it all together. I want you to remember what he's done because of his great love for you. And I know that this is uh, highly regular. We're not going to do this in every service, but we're going to do it today. And so if we can have that song playing really, uh, i got a little song for you because it's a little quiet. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to tell us when to eat the bread together. We're counting this wafer as the bread. You can enlarge it like this if you're hungry. Just go like that. It gets bigger. Right. I have a plastic one if you want that. Or a cotton one. But would you just take a, a little bit of time to reflect? And we're going to have our regular response worship song in just a minute. So just take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to think about what the bread is. If you grab that bread and prepare that, you take it in just a second together. If you take it in your hand, we're going to go ahead and, I know it's really small, but we're going to break that piece together. Grab it. Grab it in your hands and say, Jesus, in remembrance of you, I'm breaking this piece of bread break that rope away from you. Jesus' body broken for you. you. Go ahead and eat that. And if you prepare a juice bar, the Bible says fruit of the vine. This is 
that third cup of the Passover meal, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says, this is the, I am the redeemer, or I will redeem you. Jesus says, this is the new covenant. This is our new agreement. Is this your agreement with Jesus? And if this is your agreement with Jesus, then drink that juice in remembrance of him.